morning, everyone. My name is Eric, um, and let's be clear, I uh, will not take responsibility for any tattoos that <laughs> may or may not have occurred uh, in this community. Um, yeah, so parents, don't blame me. Kids, don't get tattoos. Um, Welcome to what is, I believe, week four of this series that uh, we're calling Pathways. It's a series that E3 does every, every fall, every year. And I would like to offer, before I get into today's topic, I would offer, like to offer my thoughts on my perspective on Pathways, uh, particularly for those of you who this might be your first, what we call Pathways journey, your first time going through this. To me, uh, Pathways is about clearing the decks and getting really crystal, crystal clear on the basics of what it means to follow Jesus. So stripping away as much of the, anything that might be confusing or, or uh, getting really clear on what the essentials are about following Jesus. And in particular, what the essentials are about following Jesus in community. So for these weeks, we just talk about the values, uh, not just that we uphold here at E3, but we would actually say every single church should uphold the same values because this is what it means. These are the essential pathways of discipleship. So we started off talking about worship because everything revolves around worship. Worship is the axle that everything turns around. Life is meant to be worship. Everything is meant to revolve around worship. And then we talked about a life that is a life of service, because Jesus served us and a life of connectedness with others in community, this word that we call uh, connexity. And we're going to talk about a few, other, a few other of our values in the next coming weeks. We're going to talk about discipleship, following Jesus as a whole. But today we're going to talk about invitation. An invitation is really another word for outreach, for inviting people into the journey of following God. And I want to say that you should hear from me as a staff member that one of the things that E3 strives to be is a place of invitation. And what I mean by that is as a staff, we try to think through any barriers that might be up between people who want to follow God, you know, and God. And one of our responsibilities as staff members is to minimize those barriers as much as we can so that this is a place of invitation for you and for your friends. So we think through the language that we use on Sundays. We try to use language that is understandable to everybody. And sometimes we use, sometimes there's just God words that we have to use because there's no other better word for it. But by and large, we try to say, look, let's have an environment where someone can walk in off the street and they can understand what we're talking about. They can recognize the music and the sounds that are coming out. And as much as possible, we make it a place where people can come. We even give free good coffee. Yeah. You got to use the good because, look, I've been to a lot of churches. And some of the coffee is quite suspect at other churches. We don't just limit that to Sunday either, you know. We do things throughout the week where the barrier to invitation is low 
So we do things like She Three, where you can just come and talk with other, uh, women can talk with other women about their lives. We do this men's ministry thing on Sunday nights and Friday mornings. We have all types. We have uh, barbecue cook-offs, chili cook-offs, events that are music events, where you can just, people can invite their friends and be a place of invitation. This morning, uh, a guy walked up to me and he said, hey, I have an idea. Can we start a men's homebrewers ministry? And can we call it Hebrews? So, and then I heard some women talking, and they're like, well, if they're going to have a Hebrews, they're going to be a Shebrews too. So we'll see if, uh, if those uh, get uh, off the ground. I'm not so sure those are going to happen. Probably not on site anyway. Um, but here's the deal. Um, invitation is a funny thing because as much as E3 tries to be a place of invitation, if we are not a people of invitation... Everything that we do means nothing. We can lower the barriers as low as we, can, as, as we can lower them. But if we are not, and by we, I mean we, not the staff, but we in this room. If we are not a people of invitation, it doesn't matter. If we're not inviting our friends, it doesn't matter how high or low the barriers are. No one's coming. Uh, and can we all just kind of uh, get honest for a second? I, I taught on invitation evangelism is what we're talking about. I taught on this a, a month or two ago in the Summer on the Mount. And can we just be reminded and be honest that it's an awkward thing for all of us? Talking to your friends about God, is it? Is it just me or is it awkward for people? Yeah, I, I stumbled across this clip of, the, of a comedian talking about the awkwardness of evangelism and invitation. And so before we go any further, I want to take like just 30 seconds because it's, it's pretty good. So just turn your eyes to the screen and watch this short clip. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> he, he better not. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're religious or not. Does anything make you feel more uncomfortable than some stranger going... I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I'd like you not to. <laughs> you could say that to the Pope. I want to talk to you about Jesus. You'd be like, easy, freak. <laughs> I keep work at work. <laughs> I have to admit, that was a good impression of the Pope. <laughs> How many people know exactly what that feels like? By the way, uh, Jim Gaffigan actually opened for the Pope uh, last week in Philadelphia, and I really hope that, like, he did his Pope impression for Pope Francis. But I, don't, I don't know if he did that or not. Uh, evangelism is this awkward thing, and I, I think it can be typified uh, most extremely by the way the church gets evangelism wrong, at least in my opinion. Because um, over the years, the church has turned invitation sometimes into this really intense and awkward thing. I drive to Orlando quite a bit for school and, and other things. And um, I-75 is like, I don't know, it's like the weird Christian billboard road of the world. You guys seen these billboards on 75? And they're all like, you know, follow Jesus. My favorite one, I don't know if you guys have seen this one. I, I don't remember exactly where it is, but somewhere between I-10 and Orlando, is it just says, uh, hell. I'd forgotten about that. 
And then it has like, anybody seen that one? That's my favorite one. And then there's like a little Bible verse. And I'm like, is that your, that's your evangelism strategy? That's what invitation looks like. Hell, I'd forgotten about that. The church turns invitation into all manner of things, you know, uh, you know turn or burn, you know, um, come and get saved and go to heaven, which is, is cool. That's true and all. But there's so many ways that we have talked about invitation, the church has historically. And what I wanted to do today is, in a way, get back to basics or, in a way, throw out a metaphor that is entirely biblical, that is entirely uh, resonant and consistent with the way God talks about invitation. And I want to start off by uh, showing you what God's vision of uh, the gospel is. All right? It doesn't really start actually with Jesus. God has this long mission from Genesis to Revelation about what he wants to invite people to. And it is not hell, I'd forgotten about that. Okay? If you read the Bible, uh, particularly in some of the prophets, they start talking about what God's plans are, not for the, just the world, but for us as individuals what God is offering us. So I'm gonna to turn to Isaiah 25, and if you have a Bible, you might wanna go there and just look at this, but the scriptures will be up there on the side screens. This is what God is inviting every single person in the entire world to. Isaiah 25, starting in verse six. In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken in that day the people will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted him and he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation he brings. Isn't that cool? Isn't that so far away from hell? I'd forgotten about that. A delicious banquet with well-aged wine, choice meats, wiping away tears, removing clouds of gloom, and get it, who's it for? All the peoples of the world. This invitation to a feast is lavish, and I'm really happy about that metaphor because you know why? I love to eat. I love feasts. And I also love that, it, that, that it's a feast because if we take a second and you think about the best party you ever went to, the best meal you ever had, the best, best feast you ever had, uh, what was involved in that feast? And I would like to suggest to you that three things are present at a really great party or a really great feast. I think that a feast is a place of connection, celebration, and satisfaction. A great feast is where you come and you, you talk to your friends and your family and you share stories. And, and in typical, in, typically, a feast is not a place where you are made to feel bad about yourself. It's not a place 
that you don't celebrate. And lastly, a feast is a place where there's some kind of satisfaction. Something in it fills you up. It might be food. It might be relationships. But you're satisfied. I want to talk a little bit more uh, and extend this feast metaphor a little bit. So indulge me, please. Uh, Last week, my wife, Shana, and I went to Savannah for a a few days. We just decided to take two and a half days. We hadn't been away together without kids for a while. And so we drove over to Savannah. And one of the things that we like to do when we travel is is eat. Uh, Me more than her. But um, we like to just find restaurants that are really well recommended and just go to them. And I don't have, as I wrote in the article in your Pathways Journal this week, I don't have like a sophisticated palate. I cannot tell you about the oakiness of a white wine. I cannot identify where a cheese is from, uh, whether it's from France or some other place. I don't have that type of, I just like good food. And I like it when I go to a place that obviously takes a lot of pride in what they do. It just gives me joy. I don't know why. It just does. So we went to a few restaurants while we were in Savannah. We didn't do a whole lot of things, but we went to a restaurant called Elizabeth on 37th, um, which was a great Savannah tradition, had a great meal there. We also went to a place on, these kind of are recommendations, whatever, um, a place on uh, Broughton Street called The Flying Monk, which is an Asian noodle place. I got this curried chicken dish. Uh, That's my dish. And then, Shana, yeah, it's good. And then Shana got this ramen noodle chicken soup, which was also delicious. We, we ate very well. And then the best place of all is we went to have barbecue, right? And uh, our, uh, we did a little walking tour. And just hold that picture there for a second, Carl. Our, our, our tour guide said, look, he said, um, any barbecue place worth its salt should not have a street address. So he said, uh, this is how we had to find this barbecue, but it's called Angels. He pointed, he said, see that alley? I said, we said, yeah. He said, Angels, you got to go to the second dumpster and turn left. And if there's a yellow flag out, they're open and they're serving barbecue. If you get down there and the flag's not out, they're out of barbecue and you can't get any. So we walked down to Angels. Uh, we had a couple sandwiches and it was awesome. And uh, if you want to know where Angels is, if you're going to Savannah soon, I will, I will tell you the alley you need to look for. <laughs> but the meal that we loved the most was Thursday night. We went to this place called The Gray. And uh, we had a, uh, kind of just a few courses there. And so what I want to do is, is take you guys through a feast uh, and talk about invitation kind of in three courses So we started our meal at the Gray with uh, an appetizer of roasted okra. They call them starters. This is like uh, okra, red bell pepper, and onions. I got to tell you, this dish right here blew my mind more than anything I ate in Savannah. I had never actually had roasted okra. I had had fried okra. I had had it in gumbo. I'd never had it roasted. I, I, dude, I went crazy over that. Um, So for starters... I want to talk to you about what we invite people to, what invitation means. If you were to read your Bible, uh, you would see the, the concept of invitation associated heavily with the word evangelism or with the word gospel. Does this make sense? 
We are inviting people into the gospel. Uh, inviting people is a form of evangelism. In the New Testament, the Greek word for gospel and evangelism is the same word. It's euangelion. Okay? That means gospel. And you know what gospel means? Good news. Good news. Evangelism, uh, that actually that EU part of the beginning of the word is actually a prefix that just means good. So uh, in Greek, euangelion means literally good news. Gospel means good news. And what's interesting is that in the New Testament, in the ancient world, good news is not a, a spiritual word. It's not a Christian word. It is a political and military word, actually. So what this would look like is if you lived in Rome, if you lived somewhere in the Roman Empire, in the ancient world, a messenger might show up from another city or from a military front, and he would say, I have euangelion. I have gospel. I have good news. And people would go, what is it? What is the good news? And typically, the word would be associated with a victory of some kind a political victory, a military victory. Caesar has won a victory in Syria. Caesar has won a victory in France or Spain. And everybody would celebrate. Good news. Yes, Caesar is victorious. Now, interestingly enough, uh, if you were to read your Bible and, and particularly the letters of Paul, Paul subverts this word quite wonderfully. So Paul plays on this political and military concept in his writings where he would say, oh, yes, there's good news. Oh, yes, there is a gospel. And oh, yes, there has been a victory. But you know who's won it? Jesus Christ has won it. So he plays on this idea in his context of like, oh, there's good news, okay. But it's not Caesar who won a victory. It's not Caesar who's king. It's not Caesar who's Lord. It's Jesus the Messiah. That is the good news news. Jesus is Lord. He is one. He is not the true emperor. And I love the way Paul deals with that. What I want to do is dig into a, a, a main course text, but uh, I want to just read it for you first. This is the way Jesus talks about a feast. Uh, this is in Matthew chapter 22. And uh, I'm just going to read these verses together, and we're going to talk about them for the next couple minutes. 22, starting in verse 1, uh, Jesus also told them other parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened cattle have been killed. Too bad for the vegans. And everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited, maybe they were vegans, ignored them. And they went on their way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious. And he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready. And the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. 
But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. So, um, first of all, Jesus uh, continues this theme in the Bible of the feast. Isaiah 25 says uh, that God's going to spread a banquet, a feast for all people. And when Jesus says this, he's not just making up the concept of a wedding feast. He's going back to Isaiah, essentially, and saying, hey, remember that time when God said there's going to be a feast? Guess what? The feast is on. The barbecue flag is hanging out. Come and eat. So for our main course, uh, I want to talk about what it means to understand this parable. Now, uh, our main courses on Thursday night were uh, this. I had, um, yeah, wow. This is roasted chicken, which had been brined overnight. Uh, those are currants on top. Skin on, by the way. That's a piece of sourdough bread that was grilled. And yes, in case you're wondering, the juices did go down into the bread. Yeah, that was mine. Uh, Shana ordered the salmon, um, which uh, was, this was actually interesting. It was, it was encrusted in sunflower seeds. Anybody hungry yet? Just hang on. We'll get there. This was encrusted in sunflower seeds. This was a salmon. Uh, she ate that. It was wonderful. This is our main course. Our main course is going to be dealing with this parable and just talking a little bit about it. But I want to talk to you about what it means to study the parables uh, because I w we need to be responsible with the Bible. We need to be responsible with the biblical text. The Bible is an essential reading for us, but it is a difficult reading. So the text starts off and it says, Jesus told them parables. We're dealing with a parable. Now, a parable is not just any type of text. Literally, the word parable means to cast alongside. The idea is that there's a point you're trying to make. And to make that point, instead of telling everybody this, you tell a parable. You cast alongside the main point. And in doing that, you ask people to think for themselves. So Jesus tells a story. He tells a parable. And a parable is meant to be, well, what is he talking about? It's meant to engage your senses, to engage your imagination. It's not simple. When you're dealing with parables, particularly in the Bible, I would suggest if you want to be a responsible Bible studier, reader, that when you look at a parable, the first thing you look at is the audience and the context of the parable. Because a lot, a lot of times it will tell you the point that Jesus is trying to make. Without context, you could say that parable is about any number of things. Maybe it's about wearing the right clothes to church so you won't get thrown out into the darkness where there's no roasted chicken to eat. But that would be missing the point of the parable. If you looked at the audience in Matthew 22, you would notice that uh, this parable happens at the end of Jesus' ministry when the tensions between he and the religious leaders keep growing and growing and growing, and they're starting to make plans to kill him because they don't like what he's saying, because what he's saying is that you have missed the point of the feast. 
At this point in Jesus' ministry, over and over again, he's going to the leaders of Judaism, to the leaders of the nation of Israel, and he said, remember that feast that God wants to invite who? All people to? You've turned it into some kind of club that only you get to decide who comes in. This feast is about challenging in Matthew 22, challenging who is in, who's coming to the feast, and who's not. Just read Matthew 21, 22, 23. Everything Jesus is doing in that part of Matthew is about that. Who is really leading the nation of Israel? But if you found this parable in Luke 14, uh, this is why context is important, but it's also wonderful. In Luke 14, Jesus tells this parable again, but it's not the same audience. There are some religious leaders there, but it's actually the context is a dinner party. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, when you have a dinner party, Don't just invite the people who look like you, who have the same amount of money as you do, who think like you. When you have a dinner party, you know what you should do? You should go invite people who can't otherwise come to your table, who don't deserve to sit down with you, who don't think like you, who don't look like you. And then someone says, man, wasn't it going to be great when God holds his banquet at the end of all time? And then Jesus is like, well, let me tell you this story. And so the context and the audience is more about who has the right to come into your home and have your hospitality. It's a little bit different from Matthew to Luke. And in particular, the details of the parable are actually different. In Luke, there's no king. Jesus says it's just a guy. There's no actual wedding feast. It's a banquet. And there's actually no crimes against the servants. There's just excuses. Nobody wants to come to the feast. So when you're reading the parables, make sure you're reading the context and the audience for these parables responsibly so that you can tell exactly what the point are, what the point is. Uh, The other thing about parables is that parables are about exaggeration and confrontation. So there's a temptation when you're studying these parables to go, oh, I know know what this in the parable means. Like for instance, like who is the king in in Matthew 22? Who's the king? Just guess. Guess louder. It's God. Okay, whenever Jesus tells a parable, if he says something about a king, it's probably God. Okay? And so you're like, oh, well, I know that this is God. And then you're tempted to go through the parable and go, and this means this, and this means this, and this means this. But remember, a parable is not about making an easy point. A parable is about casting alongside. So in other words, if you went through and you said, oh, the king is God, when you get to the part about God being angry and then going to destroy the town of the people that didn't show up, you're like, boy, that doesn't sound like a God that I'd like to know. Or when like the king looks around at the wedding feast and he's like, uh, you're not dressed appropriately. Get out where there's no roasted chicken or salmon. And let's face it, the way we dress here at E3, a lot of us would get tossed out. Right? Does that sound like a God you want to follow? And if anybody knows whose God is like, it should be Jesus, right? When you're reading a parable, you realize that Jesus is exaggerating points. He's challenging you. He's not saying that a king is going to be destroy your town if you don't show up. He's basically just saying, look, a king is inviting you to a feast and people are refusing to come. You know, even if you read the details of the parable, I love the way that over and over again, he's like, Um, the feast is ready, go invite people. Then they didn't show up, 
and he goes out and kills the town, and then he comes back, and he's like, the feast is ready. Go sit. And you're like, could the feast still be ready after going and annihilating a whole town? Like, surely the food is cold by now. It's exaggeration. It's trying to make a point. It's about you reading the parable and going like, man, where am I in this story? And let me tell you something. If you read a parable and it doesn't challenge you on some level, read it again. Because when you look at yourself and look for yourself in a parable, there should be some point where you're just, where you get a little uncomfortable. Where you're like, ooh, oh man. Parables should not be easy. They should confront us. So uh, when you're reading the text, uh, one great way or one series of questions to ask yourself about any biblical text if you really want to get started with, with uh, understanding the Bible, is what does this text say about God? What does this text say about humanity? And what does this text say about the relationship between God and humanity? So for the last few minutes that we have together, I want to just unpack these three questions. So first of all, what does this text say about God? I think the text says about God is that God is a God of a feast. And if you were to ask me what life with following God is like, what spirituality is like, what true spirituality is like, if you are doing it right, it should feel like a feast. And what is a feast like? A place of connection, celebration, and satisfaction. If you're doing the spiritual life right, this is what you should be experiencing. Not shame, not you're not good enough, not dress right, not, uh, not, not any of the short answers, not hell, I'd forgotten about that. It should be about my life feels like a feast. I'm more connected than I've ever been. I'm learning to be connected. I'm learning to celebrate. And I am becoming satisfied. God is a God of a feast. What does this text say about humanity? Well, this is the rub. I think what this text reminds me in regards to humanity is that we have a built-in hesitancy to show up for the feast. Like, I see myself all through this parable, you know? Um, we have a built-in hesitancy to sit down to this meal. And the text says it, you know? I've got to deal with my farm. I've got to deal with my family. For some reason, we don't want to come. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Isaiah 55, which also talks about a feast. And in that text, God says, why do you spend money on food that's not food and drink that's not drink when the food that I want to offer you is satisfying and it's free? And I can tell you that in my life, I spend so much time running after food that's not food and going to every other banquet besides the banquet that God invites me to. So I run after things like, and I have run after things like status, drugs, you know, money. It's the same for all of us, really. There are all these pulls. We don't want to come to the free banquet. We want to go to the banquets that cost us don't we? 
food, drugs, codependency, relationships, sex, job, status, power, whatever it is. We have a hesitancy to come down. Now, eventually, I am happy and so grateful that eventually I got to the point where I was like, wait a minute, none of these things really satisfy me. And I went to look, and I started to look around for the banquet, the real banquet. <laughs> and I finally pulled up a chair to the banquet, and God was like, I'm so glad you're here. And then he pu pushed across that, that uh, roasted chicken. Sorry, I'm on the chicken thing. I don't know. He just, and he was like, Eric, eat up. And that's what he invites all of us to. Uh, real quick, I think what it also says about humanity, this parable, is that we also have a built-in desire to, to decide who's in and out. Because he tells the parable about the religious leaders, and guess what? I'm a religious leader now. And I have a real tendency in my mind to go, hmm, who looks like they're really down with God? Who, who looks like they're in and who's out? And this parable reminds me that I'm not the one who issues the invitation. I'm not the one who decides. I don't get to choose who comes to the party, right? And incidentally, if I don't, neither do you. God decides who comes to the party. He's the God of the invitations. So, uh, so there was a dessert course. We didn't eat dessert at, at the Gray. Uh, uh, we ate dessert at this place called Lulu's Chocolate. <laughs> this is the thing that gets you guys. Um, this was like a strawberry suspension cake, they called it. That was Shana's. I had a chocolate chip cheesecake. Then Shana had this chocolate martini. I did not have that. Um, so we had dessert. Here's, here's dessert. Uh, the dessert is the third question. What does this text say about the relationship between God and humanity? And I think what this text says about the relationship is it merely clarifies a theme in Scripture that runs from Genesis to Revelation. And what I want to do is walk through these different scriptures to give you a hint of what the relationship between God and humanity is in regards to invitation. So if you were to start at the beginning of the Bible and go to Genesis 12, you would find this, that God says to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and what? Go. Go to the land that I will show you. The next chapter in the Bible is Exodus. God speaking to Moses. He says, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now, go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. If you moved further on in the story into the Gospels, Luke chapter 9, one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples. He gave them power and authority to cast out demons and to heal diseases. And then he, what? Sent them to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. The next chapter in Luke, these were his instructions to them. The harvest is great. The workers are few. Now pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Go. Are you hearing the theme yet? Remember, I'm sending you out. At the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, after he's resurrected, Matthew 28, he tells his disciples, I have been given all what? Authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. One more. A guy named Saul, who is a, a church hater, a Christian hater, a terrorist 
in the first century to Christians. And God strikes him blind on the road to Damascus. A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He falls to the ground and he hears a voice. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Saul asked. The voice replies, I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go. Here's how I would summarize it. The relationship between God and humanity in regards to invitation is simply this. God has authority. It's our job to what? Go. The authority is God. The feast is God's. It's our job to go. Uh, I, I like the way uh, a friend of mine, I, I heard him say this once. It is not that the people of God have a mission. It is that the mission of God has a people. You see, from the very beginning of God's story, he has been trying to reach people and tell them about the feast. The church doesn't dream up this mission. We don't muster up, well, what should we do? What should we be about? Maybe we should go. Maybe we should come up with this thing called invitation. After all, we made up a word called connexity. Why don't we do something with invitation? It's not the way it works. The story of God is a, is a story of a God who is, who is trying to change the world and redeem the world and to say there's a feast happening. And I'm going to choose a people to be part of the invitation. So um, what does this look like? Now, we have a really special treat today because we're going to see very specifically what this looks like. Today's a special day at E3 because we have uh, in our community today every one of our missionaries that we've sent. So you guys um, come up, and what I'd like to do is have you guys stand up and welcome. These are the folks that have moved across the world, and like welcome them. Oh, my gosh, come on. You guys can sit down. So, like, these are all the people uh, that have went. Yeah, they have went. <laughs> They've gone. Uh, God says, go, go, go. They went. And so what we're going to do for the last couple minutes that we have together is have a short conversation um, about going. And so if you guys don't know who these folks are, this is Mark and Amy Gortney. So this is Dr. Gortney and Amy Gortney's son and his wife, and they're part of Global Outreach um, in Uganda. This is Lloyd and Melanie Monroe. You might know them. They are Porch de Solomon in, in Panajachel, Guatemala. Michael Hanna and Martha Hanna, who have gone everywhere, um, but are most recently working a lot in Haiti. And then uh, their daughter, Katie Fox, and her husband, Cody, who also are in Uganda. So we're going to hear just briefly uh, what they're doing uh, when they went, when they heard the word go, what they ended up doing. So if you guys would just go around and maybe give a brief snapshot of what you do in your respective ministries in your respective countries. Go ahead, Mark. Great. God called us to go to, to Uganda. We work with Good Shepherd's Fold. It's a children's home in Uganda. There's 81 children in the home right now, uh, and that home has become the platform to branch out in other ways. Uh, so we have a school with over 400 children. Uh, we have feeding programs, both for the elderly and for, uh, and for babies, uh, trying to keep uh, children with their families uh, so they don't have to come into the children's home. 
Um, we have uh, farming and, and various kinds of uh, other outreach as well. Uh, we do discipleship training in local churches in our, our area just because of being there, the pastors have asked us to come and, and train them and train people in their churches. And so the children's home has given us a platform to do many other areas of ministry. And uh, it's just a beautiful thing out in the sugarcane fields of Uganda. Hi, Melanie and I founded, co-founded Porte de Solomon 10 years ago. We're entering our 11th year now of full-time mission in Panajachel, Guatemala, and we do five things. We host, <laughs> and that's something else. That says, where you lead, I will follow. No, <laughs> but we do five things. We host mission teams year-round, 30 teams last year, uh, building houses. We built 81 quality houses. E3 teams have come down. Thank you for that. Medical clinics, dental clinics. Uh, and um, the even when we're here, we're here on furlough, but when we're here, our workers are working down there, providing year-round humanitarian relief in the country with the world's fourth-worst chronic malnutrition rate, and it's the fifth-worst country in the world to be a woman. So we do a lot of feeding protein, malnourished baby, and single mother family relief. What's the third thing we do? Incarnational Porch de Solomon and Hotel California in the heart of Panajachel, the world's number four hippie travel destination. <laughs> Tying in, I'm not making this up. Check me on my stats now, okay? They, they're always changing. The fourth part ties in with that is live music outreach. Up here, it's bluegrass gospel. Down there, it's rock and roll. The song we should have today is Satisfaction, I think. You're talking about Satisfaction. Eric's been a part of that, playing a rock and roll music in the bars, building dialogue with people that are dialed out to Christianity, or sometimes people need to loosen up and sometimes people need to tighten up, as we say in Joaquina, Florida. The final part is coming back here to the States and being in relationship with churches. We have traveled all around the United States during this furlough, uh, doing promotion and trying to stir up complacent Christians or people that are thinking about being Christians. These people are many Christians' worst nightmare. They gave it up and moved to Africa. There's somebody out there right now. Your worst fear is if you say yes to Jesus is you'll become these folks. They're nice folks. You know who you are. We're not going to ask for a show of hands. We try to ease them in to being, you're supposed to be smiling. He's smiling. There I go. We try to ease them into being a goer, to being willing to sacrifice more by coming to our fun town and uh, getting immersed in third world culture. Thank you for listening to all that. <laughs> We're Michael and Martha Hanna. We serve primarily in Ghana Eves, Haiti. We are part of a mission called Much Ministries. They're involved in economic development, social entrepreneurship, and we partner up with more the medical part. And E3 has been behind us, and Red Eye helps fund a class that we do called Village Healthcare Workers. And it's basically CNAs that are trained to raise the level of health care in the area. And it's pastors that go out and take care of their communities, families that love their neighbors, and because of the funds, when you go buy your coffee at Red Eye, that helps us be able to fund what we do, and we send the equipment down for these classes. Like Mark and Amy mentioned, we also work at Good Shepherd's Fold in Uganda, and uh, Katie's our special needs coordinator, so she deals with about 20 special needs kids and their daily schedule and our staff and, and kind of their whole entire lives, and I get to um, teach English to kids, 14 kids pre-K through seniors, uh, so that's a lot of fun. 
Well, I, I, just, I, just, I just have one question uh, for you guys. And incidentally, they are all going to be out there in the lobby after this gathering. And, and one of the things that, that uh, the, the staff feels most strongly about is the win for today is for you to meet them. The win for today is for you to go out to the lobby, to shake hands, to, to make a connection with them, and then see what God does. It. That's the win for today. Um, but before we get to that, you know, we've talked all, all, um, all morning long about the feast and the invitation and going and how it's our responsibility to go. And I wonder if we could just go around briefly and talk about what it was like when you heard the word go. Um, what was scary about it and what was rewarding about it? Yeah, we live way out there in Uganda, like, like Lloyd said. Um, <laughs> Please don't send me to Africa. Uh, all those, all those kind of fears. They were, they were there in our hearts as well. Um, in fact, when when Amy first said, well, you know, we're looking at several places in the world, working with children, and she said, "What do you think about Uganda?" I said, uh, "God's going to have to do a work in my heart uh, to to convince me to do that." Um, I said, honestly, the picture in my mind was anywhere in Africa is dry and hot and dusty and you know just starving naked people. Um, yeah, that, that was it, you know? I mean, what I discovered was, was that that was a very ignorant outlook, and, and Uganda is a beautiful tropical country. Um, we get rain all year round, and, and it is just uh, beautiful and fabulous. Uh, it reminds me of that verse in the Bible where Jesus says, you know, if, if a son asks his father for a fish, you know, for something to eat, one of those beautiful meals you showed us, would his father just give him a rock? You know, what, what dad is going to do that? And so when we go to the word of God, and that was really part of our, our going, when we go to the word of God and find the truth and what he says to us, it, it just changes our outlook and changes our fears. So God did do that kind of work uh, in me. I said, he's going to have to do that, and he did. Um, and, and yet overcoming those fears is, is part of the going and, and understanding that we have a good and loving father who has good plans for us. He, he's not just going to plunk a rock on the table for our, for our meal. He sent us to a beautiful place, and, and uh, we love where, where we live and where we serve now. Well, uh, like Mark, I had many fears. Uh, actually, my husband got the call and not me, and so it was really a process for me because I think the first thing I told you was, Lloyd, you've got to be kidding. I had done short-term Guatemala trips, and I had done short-term Cuba trips, but to go long-term and to live there when you're living where you like to be, I had family here. I'm from Walkina. I have a big family. I had children. I did not want to go to Guatemala. So it really was a fear for me. And I also felt like I wasn't worthy. I always think of, I don't know, mission work as you're evangelizing, making people feel awkward about telling them about Jesus. And I'm like, that's just not me. But I've learned that it's not all about that. It's not just telling them. It's showing them and loving them where they are. And so that's, it was a process for me to, to get to that point. But uh, I do love being there. And I feel like we've, we've got the feast. We've got the dessert and everything being there. So uh, anyway, just keep praying for us. <laughs> um. Michael and I, I feel like, have it easy. We're medical, so it's an easy fit for us to go into missions. He's a physical therapist, and I'm a nurse practitioner, so it makes it very easy. Had I not been going with Lloyd and Melanie, I never would have gone to Haiti. 
I got my confidence up that I could do foreign medical mission work. And then when the earthquake happened in Haiti, there was just no question that I would go. And it comes from the scripture when Jesus said, if you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me. And that was just an automatic, yes, I'll go to Haiti. I think I fessed up in the last gathering um, when I when I heard go, I was driving down to the plane to go to Haiti, and I had to ask my son, where's Haiti? <laughs> so I didn't even know where I was going. So um, sometimes I think God just makes us very ignorant <laughs> in what he asks us to do. <laughs> but I think when you hear that go, you know it loud and clear, and you know where you're supposed to go and when you're supposed to go. I think when people first hear the go, that they think of all the things you lose. And um, and I start, you know, going through the process, now I see the gains. And, you know, you start looking forward to it and what you're going to gain from it. And it is about the people you're serving, but it's also about the transformation of you, of who you become through this process and what God's doing for you and through you and to challenge you. So... Um as we wrap up today, uh, I, want, I, want to, I want you to hear something really clearly. Um, in this book that we have called the Stage Class Book, if you were to take uh, Illuminate, which is what I think what we would call the fourth stage, it's, it's really about this idea of invitation. And the Stage Class Book uh, identifies four characteristics of a person of invitation. And this comes straight from the book. A person of invitation is open to relationship. Uh, they don't allow inconvenience to separate them from relationships. They value depth, and they're intentional. What is not in that list is any sort of expert in foreign mission work, okay? You don't have to be anything special, and like, no offense, but you guys are nothing special, okay? And neither are you. All they have done was they heard the word go, okay? And get this. Your, your invitation to go may not be to Uganda or Guatemala yet. Your invitation might be to walk across the hall of your office. Your invitation to go might be to uh, go to a different classroom where a classmate needs you. It might be to go to a relative's house. It doesn't have to start with moving across the world. But you crack open this door of going, and you will be shocked at where it takes you, right? But it just starts with maybe walking three feet to a coworker's thing. Um, and, and, and relatedly, one last idea about the feast. God is offering a feast. And I want to be clear that uh, there's a lot of ways to starve in the world. You know, you can be starving intellectually and need teachers, you can be starving emotionally and need a friend to just hear you. You can be starving spiritually. You need to hear about the love of Jesus. You can be starving literally, right? And Jesus says, it's all part of the feast. Feed people so they have enough to eat. Teach them. Heal their wounds emotionally and physically. And then show them about um, my love. So to wrap up, I want to do one last thing. Um, if you have been touched by, by any of these ministries in Uganda, or if you've been a part, if you've gone, if you've funded, if you've prayed, could you bless them by just standing up? If you've gone to Guatemala or Haiti, or if you've helped, or if you have been impacted by their ministry, 
This is awesome. Thank all of you. Now stay standing. And I want to invite the rest of you guys to stand up as we close. We have a team that is going to Haiti in just a few days. And so uh, for closing prayer, we just want to pray over this team that is going. Michael, can you just give us a real quick glimpse of what you guys are going to be doing? Sure. I think, uh, Carl, that anybody that's on the team, come on up if you're here. I haven't seen who came in or not. We got 13 people going Saturday uh, over to Haiti to serve. Um, Where's that? Where's Haiti again? I have no idea. (laughs) It was a pretty funny event. She's driving down to right after the earthquake, and she really had no idea where she was going. It was great. Um, In keeping with the theme of invitation, um, Martha and I and Carl uh, kind of spearhead the uh, global outreach here at E3. There are going to be trips going to Uganda this year. There are going to be trips going to Guatemala this year. There are more trips going to Haiti this year. You have an invitation. We would love for you to be a part of that. Get with us out in the lobby. Mm-hmm. Contact us later. It doesn't have to be today, but we would love to involve you in that in any way we can. We are all about invitation and being a part of what God is doing, not what we're doing. Uh, somebody said one time, find what God is blessing and then ask him if you can be a part of it. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great way to look at it. 13 people from California, Thomasville, and Tallahassee are going Saturday morning, taking off. We'll be there for a week. We love your prayers and Uganda. Katie, my daughter's going to Haiti for the first time. She knows where it is, though. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, having your prayers, uh, your support, your uh, um, knowing you're here, knowing that Red Eye backs us, knowing that E3 backs us is, is all the, the greatness in the world. These guys will be traveling back in January to Uganda. Don't forget them. They're going back in November. And these guys are going back in about two weeks. So... Pray for us as we plan and move and continue to, to do what God's called us to do. Nothing special. We just got the opportunity to go do this thing. Yeah. So thank you for being All with right. us. All right. Join me with prayer. Uh, let's pray for this team going out. God, thank you uh, for the folks who are we willing to hear your voice, God. Thank you for being a God of the feast. Uh, help us to hear your voice to go, whether it's just three feet or whether it's thousands of miles. Thank you for your faithfulness, God. And thank you for Jesus Christ who makes this all possible. And in the name of uh, Jesus and for the sake of his kingdom, all God's people say, amen.